It used to be that I would look for the deeper meaning in everything, thinking that I was some kind of hermeneutic sleuth moving through the world. But I stopped that when I was 12. Though I would have been unable to articulate it then, I have since come to recognize that I was abandoning any search for elucidation. Though I would have been unable to articulate it then, I have since come to recognize that I was abandoning any search for any elucidation of what might be called subjective or thematic meaning schemes, and replacing it with a mere delineation of specific case descriptions from which I, at least, could make inferences, however unconscious, that would allow me to understand the world as it affected me. In other words, I learned to take the world as it came. In other words, still, I just didn't care. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the movie more than the book. We are recording this episode on Sunday, January 7th. Welcome to episode number 78, where we will be discussing adaptation, American fiction, based on the novel Erasure. I am your host, Will, and with me to talk things over is the Rothko Musing hermeneutic enthusiast and the satiricon himself, Mr. Eric. Say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, your lesson on hermeneutics which is about the interpretation of artistic works, which is a word I learned for the first time reading this book and today also. That was the first time I've ever said that word. It's a tough word. Did you like my pronunciation? Yeah. I was watching you sort of like eating it over in your mind because it's a weird looking word. Hermeneutic. Yeah. It's pronounced much more more easily than it reads. What does it mean again? It's like the the act of interpreting. Mm. So we are going to be hermeneuticing the adaptation. I think the Little Lens podcast is a exercise in hermeneutics. I think you would. I think. I think you're absolutely right. Actually, <laughs> I don't like the way it sounds, though. Yeah, it feels a little bit naughty. Yeah, or a little bit wrong. Like, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a hermeneutic. Oh yeah, that sounds gross. You know, that sounds pretty gross. I don't know about that. Um, well, cool. Uh, welcome to the Little Lens podcast, and we're gonna do some quick, fast facts uh, before we get into the adaptation. The book. Um, it's written by Percival Everett, who is also the author of I Am Not Sidney Poitier, The Trees, Dr. No, and the upcoming novel James, which is to be, re- to be released in 2024. Uh, the title is Erasure, um, and the publisher is UPNE slash Grey Wolf Press, published in 2001. The, uh, it is 265 paperback pages long, Goodreads rating of 4.22. Uh, the film was released at the Toronto, Toronto International Film Festival in September uh, in 2023, where it won the People's Choice Awards and then in theaters in December of 2023. Uh, it was directed by Court Jefferson, which is his film debut. Um, also written by Court Jefferson, who has uh, been a writer on several shows, including Master of None, The Good Place, Succession, Watchmen, and Station Eleven. Uh, before that was actually a uh, journalist, um, starring Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, Issa Rae, Sterling K. Brown, John Ortiz, Adam Brody, Keith David, runtime of 117 minutes, Rotten Tomatoes, 92%. Metacritic, 82 So, pretty good. What a great film debut, like, getting all this cast. Yeah. A good cast. Yeah. I guess he kind of put in his time writing for all those shows that are pretty well regarded. Mm-hmm. Um, and it won the People's Choice Award at TIFF, I think you said, which is yep. historically a harbinger of uh, getting a Best Picture nomination at is that the right? Oscars. Oh, I didn't know that. And often winning, but recently less often winning. Oh, okay. I so think Coda the, the Fablemans won it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like we thought running in first for a while and then not well, Coda, I don't know yeah. about Coda yeah I don't know I don't know if Coda won but yeah this is a 
a great award and uh, uh, definitely um, an Oscar. I don't know if it's a front runner, but certainly on the Oscar list. Yeah, it would probably be nominated. We'll see. Yeah. Um, Eric, can you give us a quick recap? Uh, yes. Erasure the Book follows Thelonious Ellison, a frustrated novelist of general fiction who decides to write a quote-unquote black book full of tired and offensive tropes to profit off the publishing industry's possibly misguided uh, desire for those stories. Well, he uses a pen name to write this book, um, which rockets up the bestseller list and into and, and puts him into the madness of the book publishing world. At the same time, there is also a gripping family drama at play threatening to overwhelm the Ellison household. Mm. Uh, themes of, of artistic merit um ownership and um just like family fashion family i think right here yeah has a lot going on um thank you for the quick recap we're gonna get right into it our favorite game here two truths one lie eric are you ready let's do it number one um in the book the publisher random house offers stag r lee um or our main character um, yeah his pseudonym his, pen his name. pseudonym who is the character's name again? Nom de Plume, if you will. Uh, Thelonious Ellison. Thank you. It goes by Monk. Monk. Um, they offer him $600,000 for the rights to publish My Pathology. Um, so for Percival Everett's new novel, James, the author of uh, Erasure, uh, the publishing house is Knopf Doubleday, which is owned by Random House. Number two, Stag R. Lee comes from Stagger Lee, a.k.a. Lee Shelton, a famous pimp from St. Louis, Missouri, who was also the subject of a famous folk song made famous by Lloyd Price in 1959. Number three, Tracy Ellis Ross is not the daughter of famous singer and actress Diana Ross. Eric, it's a kind of a mouthful today. Yeah, that's a, yeah. But how are we feeling? Okay, well, I know this one. Do you already? Yes, I know that Tracy Ellis Ross is the daughter of you Diana knew that? Ross. I did know that. That's Dang. the only thing I know. What else is there to know? <laughs> I did not know that until this morning. Diana Ross is a uh, Supremes, right? Yeah, Diana Ross right. and the Supremes. That's right. What else would you like to know about Diana <laughs> are Ross? You, are you a Diana Ross stan? Uh, shoe a... size seven and a half. <laughs> uh, That's pretty good. All yeah, right. so th- that would help. I, uh, no idea. I think. Um, Mark that a win for Eric. Random House owns a bunch of imprints. I know at one point Knopf was its own, but you know, I believe you that it's owned by Random House. Mm-hmm. Uh, Random House is one of the big four, so everything kind of yeah. is there. And then uh, Stag R. Lee comes from Stagger Lee, a.k.a. Lee Shelton, famous pimp. How did you how did you learn that? Well, just boots was, on the ground reporting? or what's... Well, <laughs> I had to contact some sources. No, I was just interested because Stag R. Lee is such a weird name. Yeah. I was thinking, like, is it like a – does it mean Stagger Lee? Is it Stagger – like, I've heard of Stagger before. I thought maybe he's like a play on words. And then I just typed into Google and Stag, Stagger Lee – is this like famous pimp apparently but does it come from that well i didn't confirm that okay but i'm gonna (laughs) just gonna say two one truth one lie and one (laughs) one, uh, unconfirmed unconfirmed (laughs) but it's gotta be right it's gotta be um so yeah and so can you sense the irony in the first one that he is offered from random house and now is being published at random house so before he became like where he is now, he was publishing with Grey Wolf and these small publishers. Yeah. And in the book, like that we read, um, Random House, which is like a very famous publishing house, offers him six hundred thousand for his like fake book, right? Or for his like um his novel My Pathology. Um 
And so now that he's become famous, now after the, American the, Fiction, the big big dudes want him. Yeah. Back then they didn't you want see him. The irony? Do you see the irony? Do you see the? I got it. I got it. I got it. Thank you. It's kind of like. Uh, I guess oh. I didn't set that up well enough. It's also um, a little bit autobiographical this erasure because mm-hmm. if you look at some of Percival Everett's older books, like three of them, I think are retellings of Greek myths, mm-hmm. which is what the author of Erasure writes. Yeah, like that's true. General fiction retellings. Mm-hmm. So it's almost as if he's writing in, I don't know, anger, but like just kind of creative. Uh, Self-contemplative. In- yeah, yeah, yeah. It did feel like that. Uh, it did feel like that a lot reading the book. Um, I just thought that was a great. When I, when I read that line, the 600,000, I was like, oh, Random House. Because usually they'll put in like a fake name. So I Googled because I'd heard he, he was coming out with a new one. I was like, oh, I wonder who his Publishers. new one is. And I type in Nop. Double Day in Wikipedia, and it redirects me to Random House. I was like, <laughs> the irony. Yeah. The irony. I think Random um, House is the biggest one. So, yeah, I think so. Top of the, the heap. Big dog. They're not interested in uh, irony, they're interested in money. That's right. So, that's what we've learned. Yeah. Welcome <laughs> to America. Um, cool. Well, congratulations. That was very good. I feel like I haven't won in a while. So, glad to be back on yeah. the podium. That's good. I'm glad. I'm happy for you. Thank you. So, our next game. Um, it's going to be called Six Degrees of Separation. And Eric, do you want to tell the people who we are connecting? Yes. So last episode was our first time doing this. Basically, we are going to pick two people from the same movie, this movie, and connect them in a different way. Yeah. In the fewest connections possible. Today, we are going to be connecting Jeffrey Wright, mm-hmm. the lead of American Fiction, and Adam Brody, uh, the like sixth lead of American Fiction. Yeah. Um, you have any thoughts on where you want to go I don't, with this connection? I don't, I don't know what... Um, I don't think I'm going to get this one, but we're going to try it. So the thing is, like, I only know Adam Brody from Mr. The and Mrs. Smith. Oh, and the OC, and he's Mr. in... Mrs. Smith. Um, absolutely right. And he's in Gilmore Girls, but TV shows don't help us here. Yeah. I don't know what else Jeffrey Wright's been in. Well, he is in... So we talked about this last time. We talked about Marvel and, like, how Marvel is cheat. The, yeah. the real cheat is Wes Anderson oh because wes right. anderson gets everybody so yeah. he's he's in uh asteroid city this year and i think he may oh, be this has got to be pretty quick I in bet. another he must he must be another recent like i think he is like the french dispatch stuff. probably um he's probably been in other smaller films as well so basically your your thing is like how quickly can you connect jeffrey wright's to Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie. Let's go. Ready? Using. Well, one, I'm saying one, two, three. You have it already? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, okay. We got to start, right? Yeah, go ahead. One, two, three, go. All right. Um, <laughs> you want to you, we go gotta, ahead and talk out loud? Because that's uh, yeah, what Adam podcasting Brody, is, baby. Uh, that's true. Adam you know who's also in Mr. and Mrs. Smith is uh, Vince Vaughn. Oh, that's right. I'll give that, I'll give that to okay, you. Okay, that's a good one. I don't think he. I don't think any of those people have been in any Wes Anderson films. No. Is Brad Pitt? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but what's? But everybody's been in a Wes Anderson film. Um, yeah. Well, who was in the most recent one? Scarlett Johansson. Uh-huh. What's the? I forgot what the most recent one was even called. Asteroid City. Asteroid, Asteroid City. City. Scarlett Johansson. She's got to be in Brad Pitt with something, right? Or Angelina Jolie. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, Scarlett Joe. She's yeah. in. There's like, Margot Robbie. Is I like. Is there not a Margot, oh, Robbie, Margot Brad Robbie? Pitt? Um. Yeah. Babylon. There you go. There you go. We did it. Okay. So Jeffrey Wright is in Asteroid City with Margot Robbie, who's in Babylon with Brad Pitt, who's in Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Adam Brody. Is that three? That's three. Okay. There you go. So I wonder, 
I'll probably if we thought more about it, we could maybe do it faster. But if you're listening to this and you can do it better, faster, stronger, more at, power. At us. At us. At our socials. At, at <laughs> on our socials. Awesome. And we'll uh Yeah, fucking do it. We'll be in awe of your of your quick mind. Yeah. And, and, and you'll get our kudos. Erstwhile genius. Yes. No money, but just kudos. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, congratulations to us for only taking a few minutes. We did it. The thing is, like, I I cannot name another Adam Brody movie off the top of my head. Besides Grind, which is a movie we well, <laughs> just, uh, found, out just about, found out about. Which apparently Brad Pitt is a fan of. Brad Pitt loves Grind. Yeah. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Everybody knows that now. He always talks about it. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and listen to a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. This episode of the Little Lens Podcast is brought to you by the Society of the Well-Meaning Whites. Did you put a black square on your Instagram? Did you vote for Joe Biden in your state's 2020 Democratic primary? Are you somebody who acknowledges microaggressions as a real thing? And do you often reckon with your own whiteness? If any of those describes you, well, then the Society of the Well-Meaning Whites is for you. The Society trains its members how to be better, more inclusive citizens by providing online and real-world education. At the Society of the Well-Meaning Whites, we don't believe in colorblindness. We believe in seeing color. And we are back. Thank you for that brief message from the Society of Well-Meaning Whites. Um, big support of the podcast, obviously, have been for a long time. So we wanted to, you know, put their ad on our spot, shout them out. Because, you know, a lot of us are well-meaning whites. That's right. So we are... Not you, but <laughs> other others of us. Others, yeah. Others, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you are interested in becoming a well-meaning white, check them out. Go to their website that Eric mentioned and fill out an application. It's, it's $20 a month every month forever. And yeah. what could be better than Do that? Do we know where, where their money goes to? No, you know, it's not really polite to ask. <laughs> it's kind of like the Su- Susan G. Komen fund where it's like mostly mm. goes to overhead, not actually yeah. the cancer research. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of what this does. I see. Yeah. So. I shouldn't have said that, I suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Breaking news. Um, cool. Awesome. So we are going to talk about the book and do another of our favorite segments here called pitch me daddy. Um, Eric, I'm the studio executive. You are the pitcher. Why adapt something like this into a film? Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for this water. You're welcome. Um, so I would say erasure though, this book was published in 2001, which is a long time ago. Um, not really, but like 20 years Mm -hmm. and does appear to bear some, autobiographical elements of the author which we talked about mm-hmm. uh, i feel like the, the book does retain some elements that are relevant today there are questions about what the art world demands from black artists black writers there is the difference in value between art that is good and art that sells which maybe we'll talk about next year if we do a colleen hoover i saw will's eyes roll real, oh, real hard who? uh and then there's just a i think a, a pretty good effective human story about family and and guilt both over one's work and one's place in their own family uh obviously two decades old but i think a lot of the things in here are still pretty relevant in a moment where there is a certain progressive class of white person maybe a a society of of folks who are well-meaning um who are trying to correct and perhaps even overcorrect for past artistic and business injustices so i i you can definitely see like the, there's a moment that happens in this country in 2020 and then the downstream effects are like people try to make change and the way they try to make change is maybe not the most effective and mm-hmm. so this movie is almost like a 2.0 version of what has happened yeah. since then like a, a kind of like a micro moment in history that yeah. this movie kind of fits into are the whites ready 
for this movie yeah uh i mean do you think this movie is do you did, is there like a hidden message in this movie that you, that you think most people aren't getting that white people are like celebrating but do you think there's like a menace that's mm. an i think there's definitely a class of people that don't maybe not don't get the message for sure so i mean so like we watch this movie and we like it mm -hmm. spoiler yeah but i feel like i get it yeah do you, so do you think there are people who like it but don't get it or do you think there's just people that would reject it mm, i think maybe both i think maybe both um i think there is i mean it would be pretty hard to not under not get what the movie's saying yeah, i think it kind of like it it's pretty clear i think um but there's there's probably definitely a class of people who are like will reject it just because you know yeah um but i guess my point in asking that question is like this i don't think this like 2001 is pretty early for this i think for this kind of a story yeah i think this is like kind of the perfect time to tell a story maybe even later um like in whatever later on um but yeah 2001 is is quite an interesting time to release a story like this and i was thinking like bringing it to the masses it's kind of a good time i think now where we can all kind of make fun of you know white people who are overcorrecting and doing these things yeah it, it is interesting it's it's a, it's definitely a movie now that reads more as a critique of white people like in charge mm -hmm. versus maybe like a critique of the work written or published i guess by black authors mm -hmm. right so i was doing some research before this and one of the impetuses for the book was the novel push by yep. sapphire which mm -hmm. came out i think in 1994 and was a movie in 08 and won like monique and oscar i think and was kind of a well-regarded film yeah um but he was sort of like rejecting the idea of a, of a story like that yeah and I know there's like some sister soldier books. I haven't read them. I imagine they're, it's kind of a similar thing. I feel like in the nineties, there was this movement of stories like this, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And he was reacting to those. But now if the, you know, director, writer, director took that same story. I mean, it's, it's almost the exact same story, mm -hmm. but the lens is now flipped onto like the publishers instead of yeah. the people publishing. Yeah. Because I suppose in a way the way to read it is like, I mean, the shit we're going to pop, we control the button yeah. that gets pressed to hit print. Yeah. And you have to make it what we want. Not, not that you wanted to write that, but that this is what we want to publish. Yeah. I wonder if this is more represent, like if this story is more representative of the, of the 90, late nineties, early two thousands than it is of like the early 2020s. I wonder yeah well people i think are more careful now with what they say and what they do in the 2020s as opposed to the 1990s maybe but like right more considerate yeah yeah or try to be so i wonder if this is more it maybe it's still both i mean i think it still works in both but i wonder if it's more of a 90s criticism as opposed to a today yeah i don't know yeah it's interesting i i've heard cord talk on some podcasts about um, one of the reasons he wanted to make this was he had a friend who went to pitch at different studios mm -hmm. and she was like, Oh, I would love to do a rom-com. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, what would you like to write? You know, it's we're trying to increase our like more inclusive voices. I'm like, oh, I'd like to do a rom com. Like, great, we'll get back to you. And they got back to her and were like, hey, we have this like slave drama that we think you'd be perfect for. <laughs> oh my god! And so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, was she a inclusive? Black yeah, woman? Okay. yeah. So like inclusivity is means include more diverse voices. Right. But like then, while it may be well meaning on the surface, like the one thing they want her to write is like the prototypical black story, which yeah. is like slavery yeah. like getting free from slavery or mm-hmm. whatever it is you know mm-hmm. there's like four stories that they're allowed to tell yeah and so and rom-com's not one that's of them. what you get right yeah 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 um interesting it's an interesting topic of conversation i think it's interesting to bring this to you know this kind of a story to the mainstream but i think you have to do it in a certain way um which i think a comedy or a dramedy if you will is probably the way to do it would you agree or yeah, it's sort of the uh I think you talked about this in business like you you got to put some sauce on the broccoli, right? You can't just you just don't want to eat the broccoli. Right. It's got to be a little lighthearted. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be a dipping sauce. There's yeah. got to be a little sugar to make the medicine go down, You right? got to bring the whites to the theaters. You can't be that. too mean on them, right? You can't be too Yeah, you said that, not me. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so certainly an interesting story. Um but what part of the books were you excited to see adapted uh, into the film? I guess we keep saying excited here. M- maybe we should reframe this as like interested because mm-hmm. for me, I-, I don't know that I wasn't necessarily excited about this part, but mm-hmm. the one thing I did want to see was how they handled the narrative is narratives within the main narrative. Um, for those who read it, no surprise. They basically reprint all of the stag Arley book in erasure they take like 10 to 12 chapters it's like a quarter of the book's length i think maybe. it's like 70 pages or something yeah something like that it's pretty so yeah about it, a little bit more than a quarter yeah it's a big section that they just reprint the book in its entirety right um and it kind of i guess we'll we'll talk about it more it's not my favorite part and it claims a lot of air and i wanted to see how the adaptation was going to handle that mm-hmm. uh, and then i was also interested to see what they were going to do with monk's sister lisa uh, her removal from the narrative is one of the things that like sets Monk on the path to like need money and to start mm-hmm. writing uh, differently. But the way it's done is pretty heavy. Um, so in the book, I guess we could say, I don't know if spoilers really matter in this kind of movie, but in the book she is killed. Um, she works at like a Planned Parenthood-esque mm-hmm. clinic uh, and there's like random violence. They shoot up the clinic. She's shot and dies it's pretty heavy and I feel like that that part of it is kind of like differently resonant today than it would have been in 2001 just Mm -hmm. given like the Roe v. Wade um, Supreme Court stuff from the last couple of years they do keep in the Roe v. Wade joke yeah that was a great joke which is a pretty good joke (laughs) Um, but I I don't know there's there's some like different socio-political elements that read differently today than than yeah. years ago so i was i didn't know if they were gonna how they were gonna do that yeah so those are my two things what about you um yeah i was i was so i actually saw this movie before i read it so this question doesn't really pertain to me as much but as i was reading it after i watched it um i thought it was really interesting what they did with the uh my pathology like um scene that, that they did um in the movie yeah in the movie where he's writing and he's like obviously thinking of the scene as he's typing, but the characters are in the room with him portraying the scene. 
Um, so it's kind of like this live action thing and they're actually interacting together, which I thought was really cool. I didn't envision that when I was reading, but I thought it would have been cool to see more of the story. I thought, uh, as opposed to just that one short is a short snippet of a chapter basically mm-hmm. that they portrayed in the movie, which I thought, I thought it would have been a little bit, um, better for them to portray more of it. Um, just because, but maybe portraying more of it gets into more of the story and then people become more interested and then you have to like close the story out. But that I was interested in. Um, and I, and I actually was not expecting all of the family. Um, like the family is kind of the heart and core of the story. Mm -hmm. I was not actually expecting that in the book, uh, to be the same. I thought that was going to be different. Um, so I was glad to see that it was, uh, you know, kept true on both parts there. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, it is a, it is a pretty wide, range of like emotions and mm-hmm. like tonalities because the publishing stuff is definitely comedic and ridiculous yeah yeah and then the family stuff is v- tragic yeah and like very much more emotional and um i don't know you could definitely see a, a world where whatever's written on the page when you put it on the screen and you s- have people saying it to each other you might not have the same amount of like forgiveness of a character doing things yeah. when you see them doing it versus just reading it yeah so that's, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. The way they, you said, mentioned dramedy, the way they like. Play uh, off each other. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. Like the, I thought the movie and the book itself kind of had the same tone in the sense of the tragedy wasn't super tragic or like it wasn't dramatic and emotional. Um, and the comedy or the over the topness wasn't like, I'm sorry, the the studio or not the studio execs, the publishers and people like this mm-hmm. weren't super over the top. I think they were more over the top in the movie, but um, very over the top in the movie. Yeah. But I thought that it wasn't like, like an Will Ferrell movie. It wasn't like crazy. So they kept it kind of in the middle ground for both, which I thought was good. Yeah. It was more like a, like a Ben Stiller level satire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like, like that. Like a smarter, not as, yeah. Not as like dumb. As like like dumb. Z- yeah. yeah. Zoolander or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I know you mentioned, um, I may be afraid to mention this, but you mentioned you did not like the My Pathology reading right. it. Yeah. I actually enjoyed reading it, which I don't know what that says about me as a first, as a white male. It says what you like, you know, <laughs> they, they gave you what you like and what you thought the story should have been. It just well, really spoke to me. You know? Unbelievable. Was, really, was it real? It was real. It was yeah, real. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would be real to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I thought it was like, obviously like a crazy story, but like, the, I think the reason I liked it was just because it was like chaos it was just constant chaos throughout the whole like a to z yeah but obviously a lot of like really unfortunate tropes and things like that but it's worth a read it's worth a read um cool anything or i guess did we like reading the book yes we did well i did i shouldn't speak for both of us yes (laughs) we did that's it that's the end of the show uh (laughs) shout out to uh anyway um i think another excellent book here on little lens for me the the biggest pleasure i think was the voice of monk Mm-hmm. Like very intelligent, very erudite, well-spoken, mm-hmm. well-reasoned protagonist who uh, gets torn apart into kind of very different ways. His family is falling apart. Obviously, he mentioned his mom has dementia. Sister is murdered. Brother recently comes out of the closet. And mm-hmm. it's revealed that his father has been unfaithful and has another family yeah. or at least a daughter. Yep. And he has a half-sister. And then on the flip side, his art also causes him pain. No one likes the stuff that he writes and does. Um, But when he writes a story that's meant to be bad, that's the thing that everyone's like, this is the shit. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what we want. And though he doesn't put his name on it, it's sort of an internal wrestling with the idea that like the person that I put forth 
put out into the world to be is rejected and the person that I'm not is the one that's celebrated. And so it's it's kind of a interesting inner uh, turmoil Mm -hmm. that just rages like the whole time. And it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to, to sort of do the inside baseball look at something publishing, right? We read a lot of books, but we don't really think about the publishing process and all that. And so that was kind of, um, curious to me and then yeah like i mentioned the pathology printing worked less well for me i do i do find it that it was well done it's it's kind of hilarious because of the audacity to put something bad in a book that is good yeah and like he's sort of knowingly doing that the Mm -hmm. the author percival everett um but then i also found it like a wee bit grading that i had to subject myself to like the thing i wasn't coming there for yeah not in grading is maybe the wrong word but I, it definitely added a couple of extra days yeah on the read just yeah. to, for me to get through it um otherwise i enjoyed all the family stuff i thought the mother's descent into dementia was well done that was the heart of the family stuff to me because yeah. the way when she kind of goes down it's left to the the two kids to solve everything else yeah um the father son stuff i liked father monk stuff mm-hmm. uh you know him monk and his father are said to be very similar and very Mm -hmm. close and then the reveal is that like oh their father is actually a piece of shit and everyone has known that except for monk and it's sort of like oh i'm just like my dad yeah my dad's a piece (laughs) of shit oh that's that's good that's good that's really good um i less liked monk's travels to find his half sister i thought some of that stuff was kind of Mm. obvious and a little bit I don't know, unnecessary, but it was like... Like the skinhead brother. Yeah. Uh, nephew, I nephew. guess. Half-sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, that guy doesn't live in a brownstone in New York. Definitely not. The skinhead. Definitely Like, not. Alabamian guy. Maybe in 2001. Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Um, what did you think? I really liked the book. I, um, I was actually kind of dreading it at first because it just... It, I think it started kind of slow, and then it started to pick up and um no i i thought it was really good there was it's a lot of comedy in the book as well a lot of like really funny moments Mm -hmm. um which which definitely got me through it and um some of the stuff though was quite odd like there we'll mention that a little bit later but there are a couple like there's one in particular like kind of this like sub story where he goes on a game show um which i i guess the the meaning is like lost on me um but it's a maybe like 12 15 pages that part was probably the the least interesting part for me um and then but i did like some of the musings where he has he has these like breaks in within the chapters yeah so there'll be like a paragraph or like dialogue and then he'll kind of break and then go move back to the the main story some of those are really funny but some of them i just were like maybe just over my head they're talking about mark rothko and adolf hitler and all these and then all these other like hegel maybe he's like imagining conversations between famous like scientists philosophers and philosophers and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah uh which which some of them are funny but i think a lot of them were lost in me because i didn't know who they were some of them i just wasn't sure yeah uh, and i guess i could have looked them up but um so some of that stuff was a little bit over my head but um yeah for the most part i really enjoyed it um and i kind of we'll talk about the ending later but i kind of wish i got the ending that i i, I wanted but yeah we can discuss it but yeah, I, th- I liked it. I, I rated it four stars. So there you go. Good reads, baby. That's a good book. I would yeah. recommend anyone pick this up for sure. 266 pages. Yeah, not short bad. Short and sweet. Not bad. 
2024, really the year of the short book. Let's bring it back. Yeah, seriously. That's no what more I'm saying. No, over 300. We're not doing. It's a good thing we didn't do Prometheus last year because there's no way I would have finished that. Oh, dude, that's like 750. 700. I was. I, I'm always like very eager at first, and then I'm like, like when I get into it, I'm like, this was a mistake. Yeah. So. You, you checked me. You good. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know me better than I know myself. Oppenheimer is not adapted from that book. It's adapted from the feeling of creating an atomic bomb and what it does mm, to a person. That's true. Yeah. Did you get the Blu-ray yet? No, they sold out of the 4K. Oh, you, oh you get, you're a 4K guy. Well, that's the one. It's, it's like the last DVD ever to be made. You know, you got to get the... That's true, yeah. You got to get the good one. I don't know. They might be coming back. Probably not. I doubt it. <laughs> the stream is taking over. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um. Cool. Anything else you want to mention? No. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break, listen to the trailer, and then we'll be right back. How did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda, girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is going to be a real father this time around. Monk, your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean. Look at what they publish. Look at what they expect us to write. I just want to rub their noses in it. <laughs> I'd be standing outside in the night. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack. You said you wanted black stuff. That's black, right? I see what you're doing. We sold a book. No. We believe Mr. Lee has written a bestseller. It's a joke. The most lucrative joke you've ever told. Now, is Stag a pseudonym? Yeah. Mr. Lee can't use his real name. Is this based on your actual life? Yeah, you think some bitch-ass college boy can come up with that shit? No, no. No, I don't. Can I ask what you were in for? Was it murder? Yeah, you said that, not me. They ran 300,000 copies. Your books changed people's lives. They're offering $4 million for the movie rights. Yes! The dumber I behave, the richer I get. too far. Stag Arley is still on the run for authorities. You haven't done anything. It's not like they can arrest you. Wish I could go back to not selling books. Is it bad to cater to people's tastes? People want to love you, Monk. You should let them love all of you. There's already so much buzz because of the movie deal. Michael B. Jordan is circling. We want to put him on the cover in one of those um, uh, scarves, I guess you would call them, tied around his head. A do-rag? Do-rag, that's it. Do rag in a tank top with the muscles showing. Oh, something called the fire department. <laughs> We're thinking we can get it out in time for Juneteenth. And we are back. Thank you for listening to the trailer for American Fiction. Okay. Um, we're going to get right into Eric Learns You Something. Eric. Learn us something, please. Will do. Today, we're going to be talking about the National Book Awards. In the book, um, Stag R. Lee wins a... What's it called? The book? It's just called The Book Award. The I Book think. Award. Yeah. And in the movie, he wins the Literary Award. 
Um, but what they're really referring to is something called the National Book Awards, which was first presented in May of 1936. And it is a set of annual U.S. literary awards, which are given to one book in each of five categories, fiction, nonfiction, poetry, translation, and young people's literature, which I didn't know was a thing. Plus, they uh, provide two Lifetime Achievement Awards. To be eligible, a book must be published between December 1st of the previous year and November 30th of the current year. I guess the Gregorian calendar wasn't good enough for them. Um, and its publisher must complete a nomination in the spring and mail copies to the panelists. The panelists read all the valid nominees during this time and the panels compile short lips, short lips, short lists in <laughs> September. Since 1984, the winners have been announced in the fall. It feels like a lot of work. If you read the book or watched the movie, it's just like a massive pile of books that all these people have to go through. And they basically are like, just read the first hundred pages. That's how you know something's good or not, which kind of is like very reductive to the whole process, yeah. I suppose. Um, but there's got to be a better way of filtering that the good ones from the bad ones. I think I read on Wikipedia that there was like 2018, there was like 1300 books or something that were assigned across the five categories. Like that's insanity. Yeah. Too many books. Like nobody could ever read all of those books in one year. No. You have to listen to them on like 2x speed. Yeah. And even then, like, that's not like that's not reading consuming art yeah. either. Right. Um, to be nominated, publishers nominate books, um, but panelists may also request particular nominations from publishers. Each panel comprises five judges, including writers, librarians, booksellers, and literary critics. I guess we could probably be on a panel. We should be. Um, and in 2013, the judging panels were expanded to include experts in the literary field in addition to established writers and also beginning in 2013 the foundation announced there would be a long list of 10 titles in september followed by a finalist list of five titles in october and then the winners in november uh, and i went through some of the recent fiction nominees and winners and there are some little lens joints in there are there um spoilers for a future episode 1983 the winner was the color purple Okay. Um, 1985, the winner was White Noise. And then oh, wow. in more recent years, 2016 finalist Paulette Giles for News of the World. Oh, wow. Really? And uh, the year after, Pachinko, Min Jin Lee's oh, nice. epic, was a finalist. And that was it. I didn't look okay. through the nonfiction list, but it's like going back 30, 40 years, I guess. Yeah. Four. That's certain, definitely others that were adapted that we just haven't done. Yeah, for sure. That's cool though. Interesting. Yeah. I, I did not like News of the World. I don't think it probably deserved that nomination, but that's just my two cents. Yeah, I feel like they tried to make it like the Oscars of the book world. Yeah. But I just I, books are hard because I I mean, I don't know. Maybe people do this. I don't typically like give a shit when the book came out. Right. It's not like I need to read all of twenty twenty three's best books before the end of twenty twenty three. But there are people who do that, but it's a probably a very small portion of people. Yeah, but I would do that with movies. I guess yeah. because movies are more mainstream and you could have conversations. There's more conversations about them than there mm. would be about That's true. Erasure coming out in 2001. And they're more easily consumable, right? It's just a yeah. couple hours on a Saturday or something as opposed to like several hours. A week um, or a month or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So it would. I, it's too bad they don't televise those or maybe they do it we just don't see them like i would be interested in seeing like you don't want the, to see writers on tv will really sure they're ugly they've got a, they're short and <laughs> they're all yeah that's true they're ugly i don't know i'd be interested to see like uh the hugo awards or the nebula awards or like the science fiction stuff or even like the the national book award 
or like the what's the one that just came out the uh it's not the pulitzer but the one the the prophet this um uh, the one that just won you don't know what i'm talking about i don't know what you're talking what's about. like the i'll find the it pulitzer you keep talking i'll find you it just say the pulitzer it's not pulitzer it's um it might have been the national book award yeah this came out in november and it was a book i hadn't heard of by a man i hadn't heard of justin torres i think uh blackouts, uh, blackouts. um yeah so i don't know you know I, I, like i think books coming out are it's important for the year that there's like context to when but if you're not reading it for like another three years it's kind of maybe just the way the books are consumed is is flawed i think it might have been the booker prize mm. that's what, yeah prophet song paul lynch that just won so there you go that's what i was thinking we'll about. read it in three years when it becomes a movie yeah. starring we'll see. somebody <laughs> um well cool thank you for teaching us about the national book award yeah you're welcome thank you that's it that's all there is to it okay let's move on um to the film the adaptation american fiction um eric would you describe the adaptation literal loose or reimagined i think this is a loose i think uh a lot of the people and the plots are the same Mm -hmm. but there are enough little minor differences that it probably adds up to a a big old loosey-goosey for me I'm going to say lit loose as Eric's uh, mic falls. <laughs> um, I would say it's like on the cusp of or between literal and loose um, just because the story is the same. The tone is the same. There aren't any super uh, different detractors from the story, um, but there are some minor differences that are worth mentioning um, as Eric is still trying to figure out what his mic is doing. Um we're gonna take a quick break <laughs> a few moments later i'm back we're back um so loose and then i say literal loose but i think it's i think it's fair you could argue either way i think i think loose is fair so yeah i just want to say that uh the, on the record her hermetics what was the word that we hermetics hermetics. hermetics say that's hermeneutics it's a uh, hermeneutics so let's get into the, i can't the, even remember a word for like <laughs> one hour i know we we consume so much content it doesn't oh, it doesn't uh, stay with us. So let's get into the differences. Um, difference number one: the setting. Eric, break it down for us. Yeah, the book set in Washington D.C. I was super excited. Hello, hello. Um, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So Will lives in the city. I live outside the city. Um, and in both cases, uh, Monk lives in L.A. and comes home to care for his mom, who in the book lives in washington and the film lives in boston mm-hmm. um and they in both cases they have a family beach slash lake house in the book it's an eastern shore of maryland mm-hmm. which is sort of like where the the people would go from dc it's like the chesapeake bay yeah area. and then in the film it's i don't think it's said but I, i'm pretty sure it's cape cod that's what the vibe i got yeah it's not it wouldn't be martha's vineyard i think it's cape yeah. cod um i don't know this was a like, curious one because i was all excited yeah wow, they did it in dc it's sweet yeah um they spelled incorrectly in the book the name of our hometown yeah which we flagged it's so funny everyone does like the mclean you know yeah everybody says mclean it's weird it is weird um but it, and he didn't he decided he decided to look up this area and the, all the towns and he i don't know if he, he must have just spelled it wrong but nobody fact checked that they probably he don't spelled care. false church he even spelled manassas yeah 
McLean is easy. I don't know. I think he did that on purpose. He probably did. To irk us. So this one, the change to me is... Curious, I, I, right? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's like Core Jefferson is from Boston. I think there is there is a difference in Boston and D.C. where like D.C. used to be known as Chocolate City. It was mm. like very black for a long time. And today, because of people like Will moving in, less so. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, and Boston brings with it like a whole... Sorry. Boston sorry. brings with it like a whole different set of racial politics. Yeah. Where like Boston is a city many people would consider to be like very like race clashing i suppose Mm -hmm. so maybe that was intentional that like they kind of live in an area where things are not you got to think about it Mm -hmm. i i don't yeah i'm not sure this i mean it's a curious decision uh i haven't listened to any interviews with core jefferson or anybody else um so i don't know uh if anybody's been asked this but i was thinking maybe because he's a writer and he's a professor like Boston is known for their universities, so that would make a little bit more sense. Like working for Harvard or something, something, something like that. Uh, like a prominent university up there, um, and maybe in Boston is a big publishing mecca. I'm not sure. I feel like that's probably New York City, but maybe Boston is has some of that as well. I don't think DC has like any sort of publishing. No footprint. I mean, maybe some small stuff or political thrillers or you know stuff like that, but like. There's maybe like a random house office on K Street, but it's probably like for three people, right? Uh, maybe that's part of it as well. I don't know. Yeah. I'm looking up Court Jefferson. He was born in Tucson and mm. went to college at William Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. So conceivably, he knows about DC and was yeah. just like, nah. <laughs> it's like, I hate DC. Like, I'm, I'm good. Maybe they just hate DC. Maybe he just hates DC. But it was cool. To, it, I will say, you know, not every book they're mentioning your hometown that you grew up in and i thought that was kind of cool although we spelled it yeah (laughs) i do think like something dc often is politics yeah it's not it's never not often just like life yeah that's not also crime you know that wasn't that wasn't like another reason why i was excited for this movie because like oh they're gonna show a different side to dc that people aren't familiar with and incorrect incorrect (laughs) so although the i mean most of the book i guess is set at the beach so you would, yeah, have seen, you would have seen like Maryland, which no one wants to see Maryland. Nobody wants to see Maryland. It's probably for the best, honestly, that <laughs> there is no Maryland. Um, so that's the number one difference. Um, and then a second difference here is the title. So I guess this probably should have been the first difference because it's like yeah. the main framing, but yeah. that's all right. That's my fault. That's okay. So the book is called Erasure. Like we mentioned, the film is called American Fiction. I just thought we should bring this up just to discuss kind of the different meanings of each mm-hmm. um, and how they relate to each, uh, each medium. So Erasure, what does that sort of like mean to you and in its relation to the book i think erasure is is probably about identity and about his like status as a author because in some ways he is being erased by the publishing complex who like don't want his books don't don't promote his books his books don't get seen and then on the other end, he's sort of erasing his own self by writing um, with a pen name. Right. He's erasing his real self to write as a fake self. In order to sell out. In order to sell out. Yeah. I wanted to mention, um, as it relates to the, the novel Erasure, there's a one of these brief musings between artists, mm-hmm. uh, de Koenig and Rauschenberg. I don't know who they are, but one of them sounds Dutch, um, where basically one of the artists gives them their their illustration and their painting their 
or I guess it was a drawing, and the other artist literally erases it. Oh yes, and sells yes, yes. it as like an erased yes. piece of artwork. Yeah, and that's sort of I thought that was a really interesting sort of uh, uh, relation to the what's happening in the book. Yeah, I, that one as you mentioned now that I'm remembering it, it's like, no, this was my art. And he's yeah. like, no, no, it's my art now since I've erased it. Yeah, it's, it's my erased work is I think is what he says or something. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was, it was a funny little. Yes, I feel like that. I forgot about that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good remembrance. And then um, American fiction. So what it, as it relates to the film, what does it sort of convey or mean to you? I feel like it's, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's a worse title yeah in some ways um but then i don't know like you you re- look at fiction and you think of like a genre yeah fiction versus non-fiction and american as like this happens in america versus french fiction mm-hmm. or, or like a high level description of what you're reading and watching so in some ways it's sort of like uh, the broadest possible view of what you're seeing like this mm-hmm. is an american tale yeah in some ways i i, I do i think that's absolutely correct. I think what they do here is the book is is more focused on um, Monk as the author getting erasing his identity and becoming the Stagar Lee character. Uh, and that is still relevant in the book, but it's more, I think they kind of ratchet up the commentary on, the social commentary on America and sort of this capitalist sort of political slash racial machine that is like the publishing world and just sort of the content world in general less internal and more external yeah 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 i think that's just sort of the i agree with that yeah uh cool and then embedded narrative so the book i'm gonna butcher this um apropos de bote uh and book other book ideas and then my pathology uh and the film just has a straight narrative so there are these embedded narratives within the within the novel like we kind of mentioned before um where other these weird things happen like the the game show i mentioned earlier that's what the apropos yeah the apropos how do you say it apropos they bought how many days successful are you what is your duolingo french streak i think it's like 809 oh wow yeah, so that's over two years yeah are you so you're moving on to three yes yeah, three is still like a thousand and eighty or something like that okay so you got a little so bit wait, you think you'll make it yeah i'll make it okay <laughs> Um, so yeah, they're, it's they're, the only thing I care about in my entire life that's is true. keeping that straight alive. <laughs> um, so there, yeah, there are these embedded narratives, these book ideas, these kind of like musings, these dialogues between famous artists and uh, philosophers and other people. Um, and then obviously the film doesn't really play into that. They maybe mention philosophers here and there, but it's not really a relevant part of the story. So I feel like it's it's goes to the more like interior part of the book which is you really feel like you're in monk's head yeah and he's a creative person so it sort of would follow that he just has like random chains of thought random Mm -hmm. bits of dialogue random like scene ideas book ideas ideas in general and to add them to the narrative is curious but i think it also just gives you a sense of like what's important to him yeah um and then adding the my pathology in the middle is just to say like this is what he's done, but this is like all the tertiary stuff that he is just thinking about all the time. Yeah. Um, which I think speaks to his intelligence, speaks to just his feelings towards the world. Uh, the, uh, the apropos stuff, I guess I had totally, I don't, I'd forgotten about it. Yeah. Um, the game show where basically uh, he's answering really difficult questions and knows like really crazy yeah. 
specific answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's another thing about like intelligence and just knowing being all knowing. I don't know. Like, because the, there, they asked kind of two sets of questions where some of them was like, define this very specific scientific term. And he defines it really well. And then it's like another, a different question where it's actually like relatively easy. Um, uh, and he gets it wrong. Um, so I don't know if it's like a uh, commentary on like high intelligence, right. Where you can do all these, like, uh, you know, regurgitate all of these crazy facts, uh, but get like sort of the common sense things wrong. Um, but, and then towards the end of the, sure. the little, uh, embedded narrative, uh, you know, the audience who's watching it all dies. So it's like this weird, uh, I'm not really sure how to break it down. We have to get like a, probably a professor of English on here to sort of break it down for us. But it, there are these weird things. And that was probably the one that stuck out to me the most, just because it, I didn't understand like what was happening. I think I conflated that with there's the scene in my pathology where he goes on TV. Yeah. And there's a lot of like producer the Maury, conversations. Jerry yeah. Springer, yeah. Yeah. I think those two conflated him ahead of like yeah. the game show and the talk show. They were similar. Like their entrance was very similar. Like you're going through the backstage, like put to put on makeup. Um, yeah. So plus after a while when you're reading this for the show, you're just like, All right, I need the narrative. Yeah. I feel like the yeah. And so you kind of lose that's true a it, little it, bit. But. So I was reading the Wikipedia and it actually described this as an experimental novel or narrative, maybe. Yeah. It would, I don't I I guess I hadn't thought of that when I was reading, but I guess it's just not because it's not straight, right? Yeah, it's not super linear. It's yeah. kind of like all there's, over the place. Yeah, you there's segments inserted into the narrative to yeah. sort of break it up and yeah. I feel I do feel like the book moves very fast. Like there's a lot of text break. Yeah. Like it'll be like a page and then another break. Yeah. And then an insert and then moves on. Yeah. Like you don't get a lot of like minutiae. Right. You just get a lot of like go go go. Yeah. Which I which is good, I thought. I liked that. Yeah. yeah. Propulsive. Yeah. For sure. There are some moments of like interiority where he's thinking about himself as a sellout and stuff like that which are good as well. But um, so yeah, so I wanted to mention that. Um, and then actually let's talk about my pathology a little bit. Um, just cause what is your pathology? <laughs> I want to, I want to kind of break this down because I think it's maybe not like super like clear to, to people why this is considered like bad or considered like um, maybe offensive. And so I want to like break it down. So well, you're you're asking me. <laughs> I'm asking you to break it down for us. But like, basically, you said you had a you struggled reading it. I sort of like enjoyed parts of it because it was like the reason I enjoyed it was because it was chaotic, frenetic. Um, obviously, like this character is like nuts, right? And he's going through all these things. And he's doing all this crazy stuff. Made for an entertaining like uh, story, yeah. essentially, right? Lots of things happen. Um, but it has, like, I wanted to get like your opinion on like, what made you like struggle with it? Uh, I, I think like th- both the dialogue and like the vernacular, mm-hmm. this is not, you know, he's writing in a certain style yeah. and it's, you, you think like for an extra millisecond on each word, yeah. like, what is this word? What's that word? Which is, you know, it's not like it's, it's you know it's your own fault that you struggle to read. Uh, I'm talking for myself, right? Like right, it's, right. it's my own fault that it's a struggle. Um, 
that's the one thing and the second thing is just like it's i guess it's just cliche mm-hmm. and it's yeah. purposely cliche it's not like studied uh, like well a character we'll talk about in a second right? right it's it's like meant to just be this is the worst version of a thing i can create yeah. and though he's a talented writer and it is ends up being like a good bad thing mm-hmm. um just the the idea of it being like here's the bad shit and it, it's probably a commentary like this is the bad shit that you want and i'm gonna give it to you right and it's i'm not gonna feel good about it right and you're not gonna feel good about it and we'll meet in the middle there. Yeah, that's that's and a good way to look you. at it. Yeah. I think that's a good way. It's like your sugar. Yeah. Although it's... It's like your like fat. Yeah, it's like a fat. Yeah. No. It's like, this is the Oreo. You're right. hungry? Here's an Oreo. Right. You're going to be hungry again in a second? Yeah. I did like. I did really enjoy the fact that he made it a, like a Jerry Springer thing at the end. Like a spectacle like that. It is, it is kind of a funny story where it's like yeah. this guy who just goes around getting women pregnant... And yeah. at the end, all the women basically get on Jerry Springer yeah. and are roasting him. Right. And then he runs away. He runs away. He gets away for a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. So anyways, I just wanted to. And then he meets his dad, right? His dad is like the wino in the. Yeah. Yeah. The abandoned like school or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, I look like you. Right. Yeah. It was well, good. Yeah. Well, it, it wasn't good, but I'm glad. Did you like having it in the book? Would you would you think this book would have been lesser if there if you didn't get to see what he was writing? Um Yeah, I think so. I think it I think it like kind of I think it's probably true. Yeah. It lays out his complete thoughts. Right? It's like the author, Percival Everett, has an opinion on or Percival Everett through the main character Monk has an opinion on what he thinks is bad. Give us exactly what you think. And I think he did. Yeah. Right. As opposed to like one scene or one chapter of his book he, they gave us 10 chapters so it's like this is you know this is a story and this has the beats of a story uh, of a linear narrative and this is like this is his opinion of what's bad so give it to us yeah, so, yeah. and in the movie they do that they have um sinatra read from her book which is like the big bestseller yeah and then they have monk show a scene like from his like they show the two actors acting in his little study right um and what he is writing for them and they're like oh this this is not real like redo my dialogue whatever it's kind of a fun meta yeah, yeah. exercise what they don't do and i think they get away with it more easily in the book is they don't show you the good monk stuff or what would be quote unquote mm. good monk right That's they, true. they they do have his books and they do let his girlfriend character say what she liked about one of them yeah. right so there i guess there is a sort of recognition of the work but you don't you don't really see the good stuff right you just see what he thinks is bad and what he writes that he That's thinks true. is bad but in the book like you get all of his interiority so you and you get some of those snippets of conversations between yeah. philosophers so mm-hmm. you i guess you do sort of see you get a sense of it i guess yeah yeah and like obviously people are commenting like his his novels are of high intelligence like the publishers right they're like this novel is not approachable it's obviously like well written and like from a highly intelligent individual but like who wants to read about you know this random philosopher and this other random philosopher like nobody cares i can't sell this basically yeah so you get a sense of like that but yeah would you have been interested in reading that i don't know yeah i might i was much happier just in his head yeah and like with him it was good it was good yeah Cool. Um, let's move on to Lisa's death. So 
Um, in the book, she dies. Uh, she's actually murdered by a an anti-abortion. So we should give you context. Lisa is a she's a doctor and she works at like one of these um, Planned Parenthood facilities. And um, she's Monk's sister. And she's Monk's sister, and she works. I think it was mentioned in Southeast DC in yeah. the book um, at one of these facilities that you know helps um, those individuals. Um, and she's, there are protesters outside of the, the building every day. So she has to deal with that all the time. And then, you know, her death in the book is, uh, from a shooting from, is of a shooting from one of those protesters uh, who murders her. And then she, in the film, she dies from a heart attack, um, as she's having like, I think lunch with her brother. Monk. Yeah. Um, so let's di- digest this one. What did you think? What are your thoughts? I guess we we did touch on it a bit to start, which is just like I, I feel like it maybe was just too heavy to add like abortion clinic into a movie that's already going to be fairly <laughs> socio conscious mm-hmm. of what's going on. Yeah, it might have just been like the straw that breaks the narratives back, like a little too much. Yeah, and like okay, like this is school versus it being like a funny yeah movie about like idiots yeah in a way yeah. and that's kind of a little simplistic right funny movie about idiots but you know when it's becomes like abortion clinic and like protesters shooting a doctor who performs abortions yeah. when the news is the news and you're like okay yeah i think you mentioned it earlier the roe v wade decision probably like played a heavy hand in that because that was over this past summer i'm not i don't remember uh, exactly but yeah yeah or last year, last year at some point maybe they were finished filming but who knows but I think you're. I think you're right. I think it would have been a little bit, you know, like kind of intense. Um, and I think you know the heart attack was obviously sad, but it, it didn't like the narrative kept moving. Um, Do you think they reshot this after that? It's possible. I, w- I wonder like when they shot it because there is this the moment she does have to. He does go to the clinic to meet her, and he's like, oh, he had to get wanded in. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yep. like whether or not that still might have been the case in the first draft of the movie mm-hmm. and then she does like pick back up smoking because she is getting yeah. divorced and so it's like okay now you see like oh the health maybe is declining yeah into the heart attack but there is a moment where he gets wanted and it's like okay this is not just a doctor's office this is something else yeah so interesting maybe, I don't it know. may be just a thought we'll we'll reach out to cord and get him on the pod yeah but um yeah okay so lisa's lisa's death um oh actually i want to ask you I mean, would it the would the narrative have still worked if she didn't die? Well, her her purpose is money, right? So, the whole thing is to remove because oh, she has the ownership of the beach house, right? Yeah, and she pays for oh, their true. mom's life, and so without her money, I guess she doesn't. She's losing it in the divorce anyway. So I guess I suppose that's a question. Yeah, but like her, her death, basically, like backs Monk into a corner where he's like. We need to pay for my mom's care. Like, I'll just write this fucking book. Yeah. And he types it out in a flurry and yeah. sends it off. I feel like that there is a difference to me between the movie and the book in that in the book, it is less of a money grab and more of a like stand that happens to pay him well. And in the movie, it's very much like a money grab. But maybe uh, I'm misremembering. I would say they were pretty similar definitely similar definitely similar in the sense of like they're both they're both stands and they're both money grabs um i don't know that's a good question i'd have to i'd have to revert back and reread it maybe but maybe huh. 
yeah think about that yeah think about it um okay lisa's death and then showing my pathology slash fuck i think we actually talked about this well you can't say that word oh sorry <laughs> yeah eventually obviously they changed the title from my pathology to the f word um so in the book uh the middle of erasure includes the full printing right the 10 chapters like we talked about yeah in the film uh they don't show they just show that one scene um as he's thinking it out which i thought was a really good scene it was a really good scene it really was um where he's hiding from the police and he is sees his father the wino drunk and then i think he shoots him at the end yeah and i think he cries actually he has like a monologue where he ends up crying yeah as well. that that dude has like the biggest arms i've ever he's seen he's massive yeah yeah he, <laughs> um he's like holding the gun out you can see like all of all the various things. yeah he probably just got back from workout it's like, like all right you ready for this he yeah. probably had like dumbbells on set just to like <laughs> pump him out Court's like, hey can you give us a couple more pumps and then get on camera yeah yeah well that's what we used to do in college before we went out we would just like <laughs> lift our bed off the ground and get some veins going speak for yourself yeah. but um, then we would buy bud lights and <laughs> not talk to anybody exactly um <laughs> uh now you're making me think about college <laughs> um yeah so this uh, so I, we actually kind of talked about this already but i would have liked to see more scenes although i understand why they probably cut it right they don't need to regurgitate us with the bad story because they kind of give you a snippet of it and you can kind of get the context right of yeah. like what what he's why he thinks it's bad yeah agreed so it, to... yeah it's bad it, it's just cliche it's yeah. like oh my dad is like a you know yeah you we don't need 30 minutes of a story yeah to tell us yeah so uh and then lorraine's wedding putting his mother in a home so so in both stories, Lorraine and Maynard uh, get married, um, but in the book they have the wedding and Maynard's family's there, and Maynard's a daughter and her husband are quite rude to Lorraine, and they have a really fractious relationship, and they yeah. think she's uh, basically marrying Maynard for the money. But Maynard is also just a security guard, so I'm not sure how much money he's really making. Is, which was one we- I thought this was kind of a weird part of the book which I didn't I thought it was funny but I didn't think it was like that interesting or really added much so I actually kind of think this was the right move in the book this had a much more positive feeling around their relationship um what do you think yeah I, I think in the book this move is done also in the book during during the wedding uh, monk's mother has a like a final freak out that's and right. locks herself in the bathroom and that's the moment where they decide she needs to go into a home yeah. but like machinations wise when maynard marries lorraine lorraine is basically being removed as her live-in care yeah so now you're losing live-in care in addition to like one more bad outburst yeah. you sort of like force the narrative sort of forces the mom to go to a home right whereas in the movie they re-engineer it a bit so that the mother is already in the home when the wedding happens and they bring her out. And I was waiting for like another freak out at the wedding, which mm-hmm. doesn't come. It's just like a very pleasant, yeah, happy wedding. Um, but I, I think it, it, it makes some sense. Like, I don't know how many times you can show the mother's like dementia springing up before you have to put her in the home yeah. because it's like, at a certain point it's like it's too obvious yeah. it's just like okay well why 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 right so they they have a big freak out scene where she kind of like leaves the house starts walking down the beach and they have to run out find her get her and then they put her in the home yeah um she, whereas in the book she's she like goes on i think she's in a boat she's in a boat in, in a, a lake a pond 
and then he has to like jump out into the water swim, swim and get her and she's like swinging the oar at him right yeah, so she yeah. Realizes who she is. Away, yeah. yeah it's really it's very traumatic yeah uh but that's not even the thing that gets her in the home he, she's like it's it the freak out one. that does it so yeah. Yeah. i think if you if you go big like that it's probably in a movie version it's gonna really affect some people and so you're gonna have to just put her in the home that's true um i think the the wedding stuff is maybe a call to monk that like he can be loving also because he sees other people loving finding love late in life he's not really been successful he just had a relationship with this woman Coraline who lives across the street they had a little spat and have fallen out and I think it's kind of a recognition to him to maybe get it together yeah Yeah. I'd agree with that he sees happiness and he's like I could be happy writers can't be happy no they can't yeah so they did he was an alcoholic well, I don't know if alcoholic is the right word, but he big just, drinker. He just drank a lot. <laughs> he just drank all the time. Is that, is, that, is that the same thing? I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a trope. But. Yeah, he's constantly drinking white wine and red wine. He, he had a not Manhattan's um, martinis. Yep. One of, one of the funny scenes, I guess we haven't gotten to Adam Brody yet, but when uh, he goes to meet Adam Brody for the first time, and Adam Brody thinks he's like a you know ex-con or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, what do you want to drink? He's like, I'll have a Chenin Blanc. Yeah, yeah. That was really funny. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had a Chenin Blanc? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Who hasn't? Yeah. I haven't. Well, we'll get you one when you start <laughs> drinking again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then our next one is Sinatra Golden on the judging panel. So in the book, I think her name is uh, Juanita Mae Jenkins, um, the mm. character. Yeah, yeah. But she uh, – so they have this judge panel um, where they're judging uh, the books for uh, the, the book award. And in the book, Winita Mae Jenkins, who wrote Wee's Lives in the Ghetto, I think it's called, um, the book that um, Monk just despises, basically. Um, she is not on the panel, but in the film, uh, Issa Rae's character, um, who is Sinatra Golden, uh, who writes the same book, is brought on the panel. And I thought this was quite a clever, uh, you know, uh, it added a lot, I think, to, to the story. I totally agree. This yeah. was like the move to make. Yeah. Um, because of course they, the two of them, Monk and her get a one, some one-on-one time in a room over lunch and have a conversation about like their art and what they think. And it's just perfect. It's like mm-hmm. exactly what you, the issue exactly that you wanted to scratch because yeah. she's the reason he does this in the first place. He finally gets to talk to her about it. Like, Oh, well, you know, your book is bad. And she's like, no, my book is good. Yeah. Like, this is a good book. I interviewed people to get this. Yeah. And he's like, Oh Yeah. Like you thought that was good. Everyone thinks it's good. And I'm the only person who thinks it's bad yeah. at the end of the day. Although she thinks his book is bad, which is kind That's of That's right. Yeah. They both think it's bad. Um, so it, it's kind of like the, the move that the movie needs to make the protagonist, antagonist, maybe not like Darth Vader, Anakin style, but you know, the, the, the person that he's reacting against need to be put in a room together yeah. to get it out, air it out, learn. Yeah. They need to have a face off. Yeah. So, um yeah i thought it was great i mean this is kind of what everything was sort of building up to um and because i watched the movie first and i was i read second i thought oh that was an interesting choice not to have her in the book and obviously Corey jefferson must have made must have you know like realized that as he was reading like why didn't they put winita may uh in this judge judges panel would have been perfect um she's not really a character in the in the book she's just kind of like a of the person a person 
I think she still has the scene where she is at the uh, book convention and she reads. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's really that was really it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that was one one really good difference. And the monk is monk and his father. So um, we don't get a lot of information in the film about monk and his father. We know that his father has died, and there was clearly there was clearly like fractious fractious relationships between monk's father and then monk's brother. I'm forgetting mm. his name. Um, Sterling K. Brown. Sterling K. Brown's character. Um, and, you know, his father clearly had a big impact on the rest of the family. Cliff. Cliff. And um, But in the book, we actually get a lot of sort of flashbacks and sort of uh, musings on his father. Uh, and obviously, there's this whole subtext of his father, which, you know, we can get into. But um, obviously, I think in both the film and the book, it's confirmed that there he had an affair. There are these letters that are found, um, but the we don't really know in the film kind of what the letters are, what they mean. We just know that um, his mother needs to she needs to quote unquote burn them, get rid of them. Um, so that's kind of it in the film, and then in the book. That's the book. Does she have? Does are there other letters in the film? Yeah. Well, she she mentions that she has to burn them. Hmm. Yeah. But she doesn't. Nobody like asks questions. Nobody really. Yeah, I um, can remember Cliff and um, Tracy Ellis Ross character being like, "Oh, he was a he traveled for work and like had women everywhere." Yeah. Like, what do you think he was doing? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it was like o- very obvious to them that he was cheating. Yeah. And Monk just didn't realize. Yeah. Uh, or failed to realize. But in the book, they there's this whole other subplot where um, Monk actually reads the letters. So he finds the letters that they were not burned. Uh, he reads them. They're actually letters from another woman um, who is British and lives in New York City. I forget her name, but uh, there are basically these love letters. And obviously, we only get her perspective. But eventually, he he does some more. He does some more digging. Finds out who she is, and finds out where she would have lived. Um, and there's this whole subplot. finds out that they had a kid together. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So he has a essentially has a half sister. Yeah. So that's who he goes out in search for. Um, and runs into a skinhead in New York City, yeah. you know, living in a brownstone, and is taken to um, taken to his half sister, who is caring, who's actually a granddaughter, or has a or is a grandmother, excuse me, caring yeah. for her granddaughter uh, in New York City, and is living kind of a rough life. Yeah, and so Monk just gives her money mm-hmm. and was like, "This is what my dad wanted for you," because he initially goes there thinking he's going to start a relationship with this person, yeah. like. I've never known you. I would like to get close to some of my siblings. And it turns out that she's pretty bitter and like, Oh, Oh, now you're here. Yeah. Like, thanks. Yeah. Um, he's like, you know what? I don't want to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to cut you a check and say, that's that. And, and move on that stuff. I, I, I don't know that it worked that well for me. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I, th- I was happy with the choice to make it just like, Oh, the dad is kind of an evil character that has affected all of the children in a different way. Yeah. He's, sort of like an unseen ghost who's who's done some bad things um and really the mom too is kind of like a she doesn't have she's not in it or like with it for very long but she does say some very cutting things mm-hmm. um and it's sort yeah. of a, a movie about like children living with trauma caused by their parents yeah like there's a scene where um cliff sterling k brown is dancing with his mom in the home yeah. and she's like thank god like i always knew you weren't queer yeah and he's like recently came out as gay yeah. and it's like so devastating for him <laughs> yeah 
it's kind of a funny and it's played as funny yes, yeah, yeah it's a tragic scene for him obviously but it's a bit it's a funny scene yeah um yeah i think we mentioned like the skinhead the racist skinhead guy just felt out of place yeah for new york city maybe that's different from 2001 to now but um and then yeah i, I liked that story i liked learning about the fact that he had a half sister um but yeah the part where he confronts them and gives up cuts him a check for a hundred thousand dollars or her excuse me um yeah i thought it was a bit of a like a sour ending that like yeah it was unfortunate but it is what it is so it wasn't until core jefferson came in and said yeah not today (laughs) cutting all this yeah so the ending um eric do you want to recap the ending for us yeah so in the book after all this is said and done um during the book award every other judge wants my pathology slash fuck to win and despite his best efforts it wins and so the night of the awards banquet it wins Mm -hmm. and no one goes up to claim it because stag arlie isn't real and has done some press hits but in like anonymously um really hasn't put himself out there and so uh we're with monk who's kind of deciding what to do and then he decides to get up walk to the stage and the mc or whoever's giving out the award is like oh and here comes you know Thelonious, the one of the judges yeah. yada yada and then it basically like sopranos and just cuts mm-hmm. before we really know what happens in that scene and that's the way the book ends and it's pretty jarring and it's it leaves a, a lot up to interpretation like what's he gonna do is he gonna say is he yeah. not gonna say what will happen um and the movie very the exact same setup um and it instead of cutting to black it smash cuts to monk talking to adam brody's producer character who's like that's how it ends mm-hmm. just like that yeah like that's not right yeah it's like figure out a different ending it doesn't feel <laughs> right and real um and so he spitballs some some various endings and what they end on is that stag arley who he has been playing as like a convicted felon who's on who's not on parole who's like out but like could be in trouble if people knew who he was or where he was Mm -hmm. the police raid the award ceremony and are like get on the ground and he's like wait no this guy doesn't actually exist and like no we know who you are get on the ground and he's got his like shiny award in his hand and he's like hands up like no 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 and they're like he's got a gun and they all fire and he's basically murdered in front of this entire crowd of gala folk right um and it cuts back to the producer who's like yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) that is so real that's exactly what people want that's like the ending that this deserves yeah um and it's obviously it's like kind of stupid and sad um but they agree to it because once again the dollar is king money talks um and they leave the studio and they see a Mm. actor a black actor who's dressed in like slave garb yeah. yeah um who's got airpods in yeah. and gives them like the peace sign yeah, yeah, yeah like what's up and then monk like gives them like a what's up yeah. and it's kind of like an acknowledgement that like yeah we do shit like this for money yeah and it's like it is kind of what it is it is what it is did you like it the film ending yeah i thought it was really funny it's okay yeah and i think i think it worked i think that final scene the final moment he shares with the other guy yeah is really what makes that work yeah because we can go back and forth, but like the Adam Brody stuff is very stupid. Yeah, yeah. Purposely stupid. Right. Um, and I think the the moment between the two like black actors was is the real moment yeah. where it's like we know what we're doing. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I was conflicted walking out. I, I thought like I kind of wanted, I actually wanted it to be the like. I am Iron Man. I am the speech. I am Stagger. Yeah. Like I wanted that. Um, and I would have been okay with like an ambiguous ending where it's like they just cut it off. Kind of like how the book is. Um, cause it, at that point you can kind of like surmise your own sort of monologue. Right. Um, which is a fun experience in and of itself. But like, yeah, at first I was like, I mean, that would, that would be like a very movie thing to do to like shoot up everybody. And you know, like the Michael Bay version of, of, uh, this, this adaptation. But, um, but I think you're right. I think the, you know, the sort of acknowledgement with the, with the actor, um, sort of, you know, makes that point kind of hit home because obviously it's ridiculous it's a movie about him accepting a book award yeah and like it's a swat raid like there's that doesn't make sense (laughs) right um what is interesting i think you could probably read between the lines so uh percival everett is a producer on this film and that last scene or those various like ending takes are basically a conversation between the writer and the producer of a movie trying to figure out what to do and I feel like you can imagine like Percival Everett and Core Jefferson in a room talking about like how to tackle this. That's a really great point. And Percival Everett's like, no, my, I mean, my ending is is the way I wanted it to end. Right. So like, you're gonna have to figure it out. I'm not gonna let you give the whole speech. No. You're gonna have to figure out a different thing. Right. And so it's the sort of meta like, how do I end a movie? Right. How do I end this movie? Yeah. I'm trying to figure that out so as is, I'm going in the movie. So is Adam Brody playing Core Jefferson? So I just want to um I just want to read the last line of the book here. So he's at the podium, he's about to accept the award. He said the book goes, I chose one of the TV cameras and stared into it. I said, Egads, I'm on television. And it gives a break and then it says, Hypotheses non fingo, which is Latin for I do not make up I do not make up hypotheses. Hmm. So I didn't quite, I don't think I still really understand that, but I think what he means there at the Latin, the egads means surprise or like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. And then the I don't make up hypotheses strikes me. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on it because I don't think I have any complete ones yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to toss the. Hot, t- hot potato to you. Well, hypothesis is kind of like an idea, right? So what's the translation? Like, I don't make up hypotheses. I don't make up hy- hypotheses. Yeah. I do not make up hypotheses. Hypotheses non-thingo. Yeah. So. So, I, you know, I don't exactly know. But I wonder if it's like, I don't come up with ideas. I, don't, I like, I don't know. Yeah. Things are real. So for the audience, if, if you yeah. know, or if you can sort of break it down for us, let us know because there are limits. To what we can do yeah i i do like i think just cutting to black and like having that be the final final sequence of the movie would not be satisfying yeah i think i do think probably a, a movie version that doesn't involve percival everett is like i am stag arley yeah this is why i did this like you guys are all you idiots. all are idiots yeah and then it like cuts why. yeah right something that he wins that would have been his like academy award little real yeah and but this way it's kind of like he he wins and loses yeah because he ultimately sacrifices himself and his art but he gets paid for it right 
And we all have to sacrifice our art for money, you know, that's true. some ways. That's true. Not us because we're independent. But well, yeah. You know. we, well, we're sponsored by the, the society point. of uh, <laughs> well-meaning whites. So. We pick we pick advertisers <laughs> that just kind of leave us alone. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. Okay, cool. Was the adaptation successful? I think so. I think there are, as we mentioned, like two key moments of addition that I think do a lot for this story, um, mm-hmm. which is having him sit down with Issa Rae's character and then also... Um, to me, cutting out the father stuff, I think were were big additions to the movie. So I think, yes, yeah. You think yes? You think I think yes? so as well. I think the tone was great. They hit it really well. It was really enjoyable. I mean, I think both the the book and the film were just like really fun experiences. Um, I will yeah. say we we didn't watch the movie together, but we both saw it in a theater, crowded theaters. Yeah. Uh, really good theater movie. It is, yeah. It was really good. A lot of funny moments. Um, I was in... I went to East Street. I was one of the only white people. And I was sitting next to like another white bro, like myself, unfortunately. Um, so Unfortunately. Was, you're, you're doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. But yeah, it was good. It was fun. There's something to seeing movies in crowded theaters that's just nicer. Yeah. Like I saw Poor Things in a theater and it was me and like six other people. Not quite the same. Like, it's good to be in the room and not be on your phone and whatever, yeah. whatever, but it's nice to have reaction. I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the Poor Things pod, but... You didn't even see it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to go see it in theaters, there was a guy behind me who who was like the giggle factory, like laughing at every single funny thing, but like for way too long. So it like kind of dampened the experience. So I think it can... And it wasn't crowded, but it was... It was there was a decent amount of people in there. It can affect things. So I think it can like it can go either way. It can either enhance the experience or it can kind of dampen it. Well, that's just people. Well, that's true. You <laughs> that's remember a good point. Um, when we saw 127 hours together, mm, like 2010. No, we were going to know. I remember Jupiter ascending. We saw that one together. What? So uh, <laughs> I bring up 127 hours. We were like near the top of the theater, and this man was like walking up to his seat near us. Okay, and he had like an asthma attack basically he was like really <laughs> oh, yeah like oh. heaving and it was like oh my god we thought he was gonna die yeah yeah i do remember that actually 127 hours that's one of the few like <laughs> that's one of the few that really sticks with me it's like the jupiter ascending one sticks with me because there was a person behind us who was really loud and just like laughing at all the dumb stuff oh yeah because it was super dumb yeah and he was just like could not he could not hold it hold it in uh but yeah um and did we like the movie I think yes is probably the yeah the right answer here. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> Hot takes. Um, I'll go first. I think Sterling K. Brown stole the movie for me. I thought he was really good, really charismatic, really funny. And every scene he was in, he kind of stole. Like even the scene where his mother tells him what you said earlier, I-, I always knew you weren't queer. He stole that scene. Yeah. Yes. It, he. It's helpful that he gets to play like kind of I don't like a loud character, like a big yeah. character, yeah. right? He gets um, to do some stuff where Jeffrey Wright is a little bit more straight. Yeah. I don't, that's the way it comes out. That's not what I exactly mean, but like, what are you trying to say? Uh, that's pretty funny. Like his, his character gets to do some, like he's got scenes where he's like doing uh, Coke, right? Doing because Coke. He's got scenes where he's like, has some lovers over yeah. and they're doing weird he's stuff. He's swimming another scene yeah they like come back to the the beach house and he's like where you guys aren't supposed to be here yeah yeah like we live here (laughs) 
what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> he's like, I didn't go home when you took me to the airport. I, I came right back. But like, there is a, there is a way to play that, and I think he played it quite well. Where it always ended on him, like yeah. the scene always ended on his reaction, and then the scene kind of ended. I if he plays it too big or whatever, then it has to land on a different reaction. I think there's also an undercurrent of like sadness beneath what he's doing, and mm. so you, it, it's it's like obviously performative where it's like this is not who you really are like we know you're a bit sadder and you are putting on this sort of act Mm. to make yourself feel happier Mm -hmm. or like this is what you think you should be doing kind of thing yeah but i agree he's he's really good i don't i can't believe he's not in more stuff uh yeah i i I guess he's like kind of new yeah, I mean, he's I probably was, not new. I'm, I'm sure he's been well, around yeah. for a while. But I was looking at his uh, his Wikipedia or IMDb, but they said he, I think he won an Emmy or something for The Last of Us. And I remember this, it, this is us. Oh, is that what it is? Oh, this is us. Maybe that's what yeah. it is. Um, and that he, I think he got a lot of acclaim from that show. So maybe this is sort of his, you know, transition into film. But I'm not sure what else he's in. Yeah, he's not in a ton of things. Yeah, I guess he's in Black Panther. I'm seeing that here. Okay. Um, not a lot of stuff. Probably got a lot. Did you see Waves? That... Oh, I've heard of it, but I never saw that. Yeah. The Angry Birds movie too. Oh. That was pretty good. Didn't see that one. So maybe he'll He's probably coming up. He's on the come up. Maybe I should snag him for our Oscar draft. He's forty seven, so he's uh That's Prime. Mahersha Ali was pretty old when he he was in his forties, right? When he came to promise. Yeah. Do you know he played basketball at St. Mary's? Marisha I did Ali? know that, yeah. actually. I found that out recently. Yeah. Go Gales. Go Gales. <laughs> um hot take eric my hot take is adam brody he's back make him a movie star <laughs> he's got a little mullet going on here he's got like kind of a like two tight white shirts yeah he yeah. just looks like a scumbag yeah he's he's really good as a just like a shitty white person and not like shitty shitty but like uh like know. an oblivious kind of dumb yeah yeah great adam brody Love i it. think i think it's the ship has sailed on him being a movie star probably just because they tried once right there can only be one sort Didn't of they try ju- i don't know that they tried he was in grind didn't, didn't <laughs> i mention that earlier <laughs> fucking listening oh my god <laughs> uh, how much older what do you think the age difference is between sterling k brown and adam brody we established Ooh, that sterling k brown is 47 i bet you brody's like 39 like maybe maybe young 40s like 42 i would top it at he's 44 is he really mm-hmm Looks good for 44. Looks, I mean, looks good for any age, really. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he was in uh, the OC. Shout out. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Gilmore Girls, the OC. Main role in the OC, 2003-2007. What was it called? The OC. Oh, the OC. I thought you mentioned a film. Yeah, so that was 20 years ago. So he was like 24, yeah. playing a high schooler. Yeah, sometimes, you know, it doesn't work out for... Dave Rogalski uh, in uh, Gilmore Girls. Josh Hartnett. He's, he's back. You see Oppenheimer? Yeah. <laughs> he is back. He looks good in Oppenheimer. He, he does look good. Good looking dude. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> Bastard. Okay, book or movie? I'm gonna go movie. I'm gonna go book. Well. Wow. That's you good. Go- this is this is good. This we is need some conflict good on the tension. Pod. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you go movie? Uh, because better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I I really do think the the getting him in the room with the other woman was really good. And then yeah, that's true. I, I mean, really the big difference is like one is about the sort of structures and the other one is more about art. Yeah. 
right? Um, I think that's the key difference. And I'm a guy who's more about structures. You seem like a guy who's more about structures. Right? I'm I'm more structural. I'm more analytical. <laughs> I'm more about chaos and go with the flow. I think this makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like the book um, simply because, or I like the book more than I like the movie, simply because I don't think I've ever read a book like this before. Uh, and I think I've seen movies like this before. Uh, not the same, obviously the same subject matter, but it's a movie I felt like I have, the, I've had the same feeling from coming out of a movie theater before. And if, after reading this book, I don't think I've had the same sort of like feeling or thoughts after reading it. So there you go. Yeah. I feel like this is a, a, a good version of like an Amazon prime movie that would have come out in the last mm, couple of years. Yeah. That's like sort of set in a interesting place and all that. And it's like, a little bit funnier than yeah. you probably has any right to be. Yeah. I think it's just a, a wee bit better than like anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Like where in the Oscar rankings, we'll have a show probably in a couple months to discuss, but did you do your best of 2023? Did you do like a top 10 list? I still got to see some movies. Oh, true. Fair, fair, fair. So when I see the movies, okay. I'll do a list. Yeah. Let me know. We can do a list Someday. on the episode. We should actually. Or on the Oscar episode. We could, yeah. Let's do it. Final thoughts. Um, neither of us have anything written down, but I just, something came into my mind, <laughs> um, is that I kind of wished they had played up the art, the, uh, author slash writer slash professor rivalry a bit more. Oh yeah. yeah that yeah. was a pretty funny part of the book. And I thought the yeah. film version was pretty funny too, but I thought they could have played it up more. And I thought it would have been like an interesting sort of subtext to this world, but which I didn't do, but in the book, they were going to have like a fight like a yeah. real fight yeah i think they're he had like his like uh cronies but like yeah. really just his like teacher assistants yeah. professor assistants with him um i thought that was a great i just i love that kind of stuff where it's like let's amp this up a bit they're all kind of like they all hate each other kind of thing but anyways um i guess i'll steal your other point which is about uh that lisa character in the book mm. just like hey monk are you up for slim sex Oh, uh, Linda. Linda. Linda Mallory. Linda. Not Lisa. And it's like as that plane. It's like, hey, Mel. Yeah. I thought that was good. I mean, they had the bar scene. They should, They could have just had her. In the movie? Yeah. Remember where he's drinking the martinis at the hotel? He's getting drunk from We Lives in the Ghetto after the- Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Same thing happens. But yeah, they had they had like a sex scene and she- Or I think maybe two sex scenes in the book. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't mind that she left. That she was not there, but no, I mean she's a stupid character. I think <laughs> <laughs> I never need her, but yeah, it was it was levity. But you don't, yeah. you really didn't need extra levity because it's like there's yeah, we, it's sort of funny enough. Yeah, we had enough, I think. And you listener have had enough as well because we're uh, <laughs> wrapping up here. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, um, check out our most recent episode on poor things and Eric. Where can they keep an eye out for our next episode? You read it. Did you see what I wrote down there? <laughs> yeah, I did see what you wrote. Uh, keep an eye out for our next episode on Barbie. No, yes. just kidding. We're going to buy a doll and <laughs> then watch the movie and see how they are different and similar. How, like, this is something I want to spend, like, a, a full podcast dissecting because, like, this is so frustrating. I think for, like, obviously writers, but also us. The last few years, especially, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. The last few years has been, um, I think it was Coda, uh, was which won Best Adapted Screenplay. Is that a short film, maybe? It was a, it was a French film. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, is that an adaptation? I mean, it could be argued, I guess. 
uh top gun maverick it's an adaptation on top gun it's actually just a sequel i think we have a term for it um and there's it was also uh oscar winning movie borat borat yeah based on characters developed by um it's the same thing as top gun yeah it's exactly the same thing as top gun so uh, this i think i don't think this used to be a thing this is more of a recent thing and i'm not really sure why they keep doing it. so anyways to give you guys a context of what's happened uh Barbie, which is obviously campaigning for the Academy Awards, campaigned for Best Original Screenplay. Mm-hmm. The Academy said, actually, we're going to put you in Best Adapted Screenplay. And then I found that out, I think, yesterday or this morning. And I posted something on social media this morning. It's a quote from um, Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow, who says, basically, like, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. Like, what what's going on? Like, why? This is a sort of an insult to writers. There was, there was no book. There was no anything it was just a clear plastic box yeah so yeah i mean the reason they did this i'm sure is because it's gonna win now oppenheimer is gonna win best adapted oh probably right and like so they want to give and like barbie's gonna lose everything probably and it's like the most important movie that came out this year yeah right and it's gonna lose every single award and by doing this it's gonna win one award and maybe some below the line stuff right but like margot robbie's not gonna win probably actress or ryan gosling you know i wish he might he that'd be cool if he did but he probably won't. probably won't win like it's not gonna win best picture yeah. it's winning the thing is like it won when it made a billion dollars so is this sort of like yeah exactly that's but the thing is this sort of like like for the fans or is it for the filmmakers like i don't know who what's not because the filmmakers we have a campaign for a best original yeah. yeah it must be for the fans right it must be like the fans want no. This has got to be like I'm. We're scared that after Oscar night, Barbie has zero Oscars. Yeah, you'd be like, oh. But like, it's all like it's fucking. Be- the thing is, like, it's a it it suggests that the most important award show of the year is worthless because yeah. it's willing to take a stand and make something that's not true. Yeah, like it's willing to warp its awards yeah. and how it interprets them to fit what it wants to happen it's like when it's like category fraud and acting categories right where it's like the lead of a movie gets put in supporting because they can win in supporting and they're not in the lead because they're not going to win in lead but it's like we all know what you're doing yeah and it it, the thing is it like it warps obviously it frustrates me and probably you as well is because it warps our entire season yeah right like we can't the reason we do the season is because we try to pick out the best adaptations from the year right we try to figure out what was the best book and best film adaptation right and it or play or whatever not of a doll uh in a plastic case like how can how is how is somebody to adapt or understand that adaptation from like a critical eye is which is what we do um so yeah it's just like i don't know it's just frustrating it's just that everything is adapted then right like exactly it was adapted from nothing right and it became something exactly like okay or like congratulations any any of these uh like i'm sure there's something from everywhere everything everywhere all at once that like from mythology or something or from shakespeare i'm sure you could plug anything from that so it's like so nothing's original is what it is no Let's blow up the Oscars. What was the what was the leading candidate for adapted screenplay? Or I mean, wait probably, a minute. What's well, it's Oppenheimer? Probably Killers of the Flower Moon. Poor. I think we did a pretty good job. Setting no, the Oppenheimer season. is adapted. What are we talking about? Yeah. So why would they move it into Barbie into adapted? 
No, it should be an original. Oh, I, okay. I, I have it mixed up. I guess I have it mixed up. Maybe I'm cool with it. Let me. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Let me pull up Gold Derby real quick. A few moments later. Best original screenplay. So the holdovers is oh. the uh, odds-on favorite for winning best original screenplay, followed by Past Lives and I May Have a Fall, May December and Maestro. Um, which you could argue Maestro, argue Maestro should be adapted because there are plenty of books on Leonard Bernstein, and it's adapted from his life. So, yeah, I mean, I, and even May December is based on a real story. Oh, a real story. Um, Past Lives, Holdovers, and I May Have a Fall. I think those are all original, but that's just like wild. So Barbie is currently the fifth best odds-on favorite to win best adapted screenplay with Killers of the Fire Moon being number one, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and then American Fiction, and then Barbie. So Zone of Interest has, be- has essentially been shut eliminated. out, eliminated from the top five. So do this top five again. Oppenheimer, Barbie, Killers, Killers of the Fire Moon, Killers number one, Oppenheimer two, Poor Things three, uh, American Fiction four, and then Barbie five, and then Zone of Interest six, and then All of Us Strangers seven, um, so we basically did the top five. If you subtract yeah. Barbie and you subtract Oppenheimer, we would have. Had, we, yeah, according to this list, we would have had a clean, a clean sweep. Yeah, uh, which we've never done before because they always fuck it up. <laughs> and because we're not going to do Oppenheimer. Yeah, well, that's true too. Well, that, that's true. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens at the end of January. I think it's in a couple weeks actually when they announce the nominations. But and tonight's the Golden Globes. Yeah. So we'll see that too. Yeah, I guess my all my outrage is misplaced because I didn't have it straight in my head but yeah so now i mean will it win i mean no probably not. best adapted why move it like i don't know because it's based on a character i got yeah i i guess what they're saying is that if it's pre-existing ip it's Mm. adapted if it's a an existing movie it's adapted yeah if it exists in any form it's adapted yeah. So in a, in a way, adapted is kind of the wrong word. It's not a, like an inclusive enough word. It needs to be like best pre best screenplay based on like pre existing material. Yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's true. And then original screenplay would have been like somebody who just had a story and they wrote a screenplay. It wasn't based on any other. Yeah, they didn't have a doll. They were looking at right. <laughs> Which is kind of what, what if what if uh, uh, Alexander Payne went to boarding school? Yeah, in the seventies in New England. Well, it's not IP, is it? It's just his it's experience. His well, is it? Is it intellectual property if it's just his Well, not until memory? he writes it down. Well, that's true. That's a good point. No IP on memory. <laughs> it's a wild conversation. Um, I would love to dive into it a lot, a lot more. I think maybe we should at one point. I uh, think I'm going to buy a Barbie when I get out of here and just bring it. Should we do a Barbie? Should that be our next episode? Just Barbie. <laughs> but for real, uh, our next episode will be on the zone of interest, which hopefully gets nominated. Uh, we'll see. Um but we're going to do that and um, yeah. And then I'll round out our likely round out our Oscar season. We might do one more. Uh, we'll see how it turns out, like how the critics and everybody reviews it. Um, but that might round out our season. So we'll let you know. Congrats. If things change. Congrats to Barbie. As we've done all year. Congrats <laughs> to Barbie. A film I liked. I liked Barbie. I like Barbie too. Um, but yeah. So anyways, thank you for listening. I understand like adapted from 2001 a space odyssey like to start adapted from oh yeah like where well, they didn't even have that scene actually in the movie it was just the trailer oh that's how the movie starts 
Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just drunk, I guess. No. Or high. Probably no. both. I don't do those things, guys. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. Adapted from the Mattel building. Like, what are we doing? Come on. Yeah, Mattel. Okay. Be better. Be better. Be better. Right. Anyway, sign us off. <laughs> Shout out Barbie. Shout out Margaret. Thanks Robbie. for listening. If you made it this far. Shout out uh, Brad Pitt. Thinking that. <laughs> grind. Grind, <laughs> is a a great work of cinema. Yeah. Shout out Adam Brody. That's it. Shout out Adam Brody. Come on the pod. Thank you. Good night.